This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Welcome back to another episode of The Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. Now, in today's episode, we're going to include a series of interviews that I recorded in Osaka, Japan, where a delegation of blueberry suppliers, along with a cross-section of others in American agriculture, participated in a USDA Foreign Ag Service Agriculture Trade Mission. Japan is very important for the United States and trade, and it's an important market for USA blueberries. It has been a big part of our export activities over the years and strategy here at USHBC. Today, we will highlight the work we've done in Japan, the market opportunities we see, some of the challenges, and talk with a few members of our delegation to talk about how they think their trip went and what it means for the future of blueberries. You'll hear from Josh Scheel of Scenic Fruit Company, Brian Sakuma of Sakuma Brothers, Amy Wynn of Dragonberry Produce, Todd Sanders of the California Blueberry Commission, and Renata Dalton, our Director of Global Business Development at USHBC. Now let's begin with Josh Scheel, Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Scenic Fruit Company. Scenic is a fourth generation family owned and operated frozen fruit and vegetable manufacturer based in Oregon. They're a world leader in IQF blueberries focused on bulk industrial food service and retail packaging. Josh gives some great context about the Japanese market for blueberries and some insights into what consumers there are looking for. It's an interesting market. So we've we've been involved in Japan one way or another over the past roughly 25 years. It's different. It's unique, similar to other Asian countries and different in the same breath. So for instance, in Korea, much more similar to US buying pattern. They have larger pack sizes over there. In Japan, stuff's a lot smaller. Freezers are smaller. Everything food related is smaller. There's a lot more daily shopping compared to weekly. So Weekly shopping trips in other parts of the world and in Japan's a little bit more frequent. As we've learned uh, kind of throughout the tours and being part of the trade mission, there's a lot of convenience stores. People will stop on their way home from work and they'll pick up what they're going to eat that evening uh, rather than plan, you know, maybe next week or the week after what their meals are going to be. So with that, smaller packaging is a contrast compared to other markets that we service, but also attention to detail. You'll notice almost everything food related here has a very high attention to detail. So I made the comment earlier, I don't think something like sushi could have been invented in the United States. It's it's a very delicate process and a lot of care goes into things like that. So with that, they expect very high quality produce and blueberries, especially when you talk to buyers over here, they want to know variety they want to know size, they want to know bricks levels, pH, different things like that. So if you can really play up to that part and that strength of your crop and your processing methods, there's there's ways to have success here. And it seems like there's room for more success. I mean, I, I look at what you're saying about, you know, the way that this economy values high quality. But when you looked at the retail space in those retailers that were about high quality, blueberries just had a small, tiny footprint in the store compared to cantaloupes that were wrapped in fancy styrofoam packaging for gifting. It just seems amazing to me that blueberries aren't front and center here. 
Part of it may be an opportunity for us to play to the seasonality roles. So uh, another thing, this is probably one of my larger takeaways from this trip, but the importance on the changing of the seasons here in Japan. And potentially there's a way to highlight that for us as an industry where we really highlight, you know, hey, this is the Peruvian window and here's what's special about that berry and here's North American window and what's special about that. There may be an opportunity there and that, that may be a packaging or it may be the story on, on the region, but whatever you can get that's going to resonate with that changing of the seasons, I think would gain some traction. You'll notice there was a small section of blueberries but the variety of produce and the different things that they had was was tremendous. Yeah, a lot a, of skews. Yeah. And impressive. Very different than obviously our, our produce department in many ways. The gift section was just impressive. But I just think uh, in our experience, at least back home, you walk into a grocery store, typically any of them, and that berry patch case is right in front of you when you walk in. It's greeting you. And uh, just not the same here. It's just not the same. Well, uh, talk to me a little bit about the opportunities you see ahead. So you guys have been doing this for some time. You're motivated to be here this week, but what do you see coming out of this trip? What do you see in the future for Japan in terms of blueberries? Well, I think the opportunity for us, uh, specifically as a company, we've we focused a lot of effort in Asia. It just hasn't been Japan. So we've actually focused pretty stringently over the last 10 years to build a large footprint in, in Korea. And so for us, this is really, we've been doing it a long time, but it's almost a re-exploring this market or, or re-identifying where we can play in this and what customers now are looking for that's unique in a blueberry. So whether it be, as I mentioned, size or bricks level or new varieties, that's, that's another thing too. There's been a lot of new varieties that have come out over the past five years, but really the last 10. And these are things that they haven't seen yet. So they've seen things like blue crop. If you talk to somebody here, they're probably going to say, oh, I only buy blue crop variety. Well, yeah, that's great. And we do a lot of it and we'd like you to keep buying it. But hey, let's try this new thing. Maybe Calypso is a good fit here. Maybe something else has a, has a good flavor profile that, that will really resonate with consumers here. And that's something that in the frozen space, you know, we're really looking to go after. Awesome. Well, and I know there are challenges uh, like there are anytime you're trying to put fruit in a shipment over to another country, but, but what are the barriers you see to Japan? What are the challenges you see that we're going to need to have to address in order to be successful here? Yeah. From a U.S. perspective, the current tariff rate is something that is asked about a lot. So if they can buy it from a country that's got a free trade agreement, you know, overall that's good. It's good for the industry. It's moving product. It maybe creates more room in the U.S. marketplace uh, for product like ours. But outside of that, if we really lean into the varietal aspects, the packaging aspects, those kind of things, we're getting some excitement. The challenges from a shipper standpoint is that, and I think it's been talked about here a lot, the time it takes to develop a relationship in Japan is different. You can't even on this trip come to Japan and go back home and expect a purchase order. It's a long courting process, so to speak. For a US exporter into Japan, be patient and work the process, build the relationship, make them comfortable with you. Like I said, we've been doing this for roughly 25 years and we have the same partner that we started with. So as that gets set, yeah, it takes time, but it pays dividends overall. There's, you know, the documentation that it takes to get product over here, USDA certificates of quality and condition. It's also risky to ship stuff and not be paid for it. And it's in a foreign country. So what happens when you have a problem? There's a lot of things there, which again, brings back the relationship piece. If you have a partner here that you can trust, an importer, or if it's a direct customer here, 
you really need to have that level of trust going both ways so that if there is an issue, and inevitably there will be one, you can work through it. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, and I know, you know, for me, this was the first time I'd participated in an ATM uh, with USDA, and I found, you know, their work and putting this together to be wonderful for those of us who got the chance to participate and uh, got to see kind of the, the country through USDA's eyes. But you got to participate on a B2B side. So you were in meetings, meeting with these different buyers and having to begin that process. But I really appreciated, like you described, what USDA said right away, kind of gave us the line graph of a relationship journey. Like you're going to come here, don't expect a purchase order this week. It's the long game. Yeah. Well, it's been a tremendous value to have that. I mean, from transportation to tours to market briefing and all that stuff, the organization has done a great job in helping us be successful, setting us up with customers that have interest in actually buying blueberries, and in my case, specifically frozen, which has been great. And then you're meeting new contacts. And, and so not only is it, is it beneficial because we're here with folks like you, Brian Sakuma, people in the blueberry industry that we know, and we're, we're kind of presenting a unified front to Japan, but we also get the opportunity to talk to people that do soybeans and meat and alcoholic drinks and things like that. And and that's one thing I think that's really beneficial for, for blueberry people is to hear how those other crops work. So I, I was talking to a soybean guy, specialty soybeans. There's a lot that's different in soybeans and there's a lot that's the same. But one thing that's interesting is he was talking about byproducts. So when you're processing those crops and come up with a byproduct like uh, husks, you know, they're finding new ways to use that. So one example I got is they were using these husks to make cat litter. Okay, that's interesting. You know, and it makes you think like, what can I do with blueberries that isn't necessarily food related? Wasn't the primary focus. And it's, it's hard for us to break out of whatever, whatever window we have, but you can hear stories like that, get you thinking about different ways that you could potentially make a big impact in the industry and, and overall make it a healthier ecosystem for growers and processors and then our customers overall. It's a really interesting experience. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you'd do it again. So... Appreciate you sitting down with me and taking some time to talk about your experience. Anything else you want to add before I let you go? I, I think specifically for Japan, the one thing to keep in mind is we hear this often, it's a declining population and aging and things like that. But for anybody listening, don't let that steer your attention away from Japan. There's still a tremendous amount of people here and they're very health conscious and there's a lot of opportunities for our fruit specifically and the health benefits that it provides. Now, you heard Josh mention Brian Sakuma there, who I also sat down with in Osaka. But before we go there, it's time for your blueberry crop report. We have regions throughout North America harvesting every week this time of year. So here, once again, is your blueberry crop report. It's time for your blueberry crop report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry growing areas. Today, you'll hear from Elise Oliver in California, TJ Hafner in Oregon, Alan Schreiber in Washington, Pat Gowen in Indiana, Matt McCree in New Jersey, and Darren Wheeler in Georgia. This was recorded on June 21st, 2023. Good morning, everyone. Um, this is Elise Oliver from the California Blueberry Commission here to give the weekly report for California. Our numbers have not changed from last week. We are projecting 42 million pounds fresh, 16 million pounds processed for a total of 58 million pounds. The weather the past few days has been relatively cool in the high 70s, low 80s, um, and we're thinking it's going to be that way for the rest of the week, and then finally heating up again on Friday. 
Um, over the past couple of weeks, we have ramped up our volume and we're expecting the next couple of weeks will be the same. So our season um, has extended longer than, than what it typically has. Low pest and disease pressures. We haven't experienced all of labor issues right now. That is the report for California. This is TJ Hafner doing the crop report for Oregon. Temps this past week were mild and there were scattered showers on Sunday and Monday. This week's been more the same. This morning it was 45 degrees when I left the house. Seven days are forecasted to warm up with temps reaching the mid to upper 80s. I heard today that there are growers in the Hermiston area that started harvesting early this week. Uh, we have a farm down in Roseburg that will begin hand harvest in Duke tomorrow. We're going to do some test picks on farms further north on Friday and over the weekend. I'd expect Duke harvest to ramp up toward the end of next week and hitting full the first week of July in the Willamette Valley. I mentioned last week that there are some concerns with quality of pollination on some farms and certain varieties. I suspect that this is due to the mid 90 degree temperatures that we reached during the bloom period and also just how condensed bloom, bloom was this year, how quick it went. But overall, we do expect yield and quality to be good this year coming out of the Willamette Valley. As far as labor goes, there is going to be more overlap with strawberries this year than we anticipated. We are getting pushback from contractors with starting this week harvest because people are still in the strawberries. Uh, we expect this to lighten up by the end of uh, next week as strawberry season draws to a close. That's what I got from Oregon. This is the Washington State Report from Alan Schreiber. Uh, blueberry harvest has, start, has started very strong in eastern Washington. The fruit ripened very fast this year, despite some cool temperatures earlier in the season. It was a remarkable 15 days between first blue and the start of harvest. The first blue was seen on Draper this Monday, so they too are moving fast. No doubt due to pollination conditions, the harvest this year appears to be quite consolidated, and that is across the state. Overall, there have been above average growing degree days, which has pushed the crop along. Growers are harvesting early and as much as they can, chasing favorable fresh market prices. Weather conditions appear to be ideal and labor is at least adequate. In Western Washington, there has been much needed rain. There are reports of uneven sizing of fruit in blue crop and some of the later varieties. Uh, we're starting to hear some reports of the yields in some fields not going to be reaching previously expected potential. Disease and insect pressure appears to be low, although growers are applying fungicides due to recent rains. This is Pat Gowen doing the crop report for the state of Indiana for the week of June 18th. Harvest has begun here in our area. Uh, it's begun slowly. Some growers are still um, anticipating starting by the weekend, but uh, they will be opening their fields. The crop looks to be pretty good despite the uh, drought conditions and the hot weather. There's no change at this point in the crop estimate, although uh, if this weather continues in this fashion, I think it probably will have some bearing, uh, um, mainly because of the sizing of the fruit. And that's my crop report. Thank you. This is Matt McCree reporting from Jersey. Uh, well, we were rolling pretty good for the past two weeks. Everybody pretty much finished up first round of Duke. Guys are messing around with some second round Duke and first round blue crop. Uh, labor is adequate here. 
but we hit a speed bump now. We're hitting a rain spell here, and it looks like for the next at least two, three days that I see, and it could be out further. But uh, we'll see how everything pans out. We're trying to get as much picked as we can in the shortest period of time while the market's still pretty decent and crop projection is is still around 42 million total, which is uh, 38 and four process. So that's all I have to report for New Jersey. Good afternoon, my name is Darren Wheeler. I'll be reporting for the state of Georgia. Uh, the Georgia fresh season is now coming to an end. With the exception of a couple of organic growers in the northern growing region, most have wrapped up their fresh season and are now focusing on picking for process. The main varieties being picked are still Brightwell, Powder Blue, and Oglockney. The current Georgia fresh estimate is 80 million pounds fresh and 20 million pounds frozen or processed, totaling 100 million pounds, and that is my report. Thanks so much to our busy growers and colleagues who take time to participate in these reports. Now, as a reminder, you can go to the new USHBC website where you'll find our data and insight center to see more data of what's happening in our blueberry industry, including USDA shipping price and movement retail category performance. We've got a new monthly retail sales report. So you want to check that out and much, much more. So make sure you go to ushbc.org forward slash data to check that out. Now back to Osaka, Japan, and today's episode with our blueberry delegation at the recent USDA Foreign Ag Service Agriculture Trade Mission. Next, I sit down with Brian Sakuma of Sakuma Brothers in Washington State. You've heard Brian numerous times on this podcast. He's been a great uh, advocate for our industry and a part of our crop reports, and he offers years of firsthand experience shipping into Japan, as well as perspective on USHBC, which he serves as our vice chair and leader on the board. So here's a bit of my conversation with Brian. I think that it's a special market and it takes a lot of patience and the willingness to have the best quality because a lot of people, you know, would not want to high grade product out and then take the risk of shipping into a foreign country. But in Japan, I think the consumer and the, the vendors you deal with have the expectation that it's number one product and you stand behind your product and you know, and they want to have a sense of assurance that you can follow through with, you know, having product there when they need it with the same quality every single time. Yeah. And, and I hear you on the high risk, high reward for where you want to potentially position yourself and differentiate yourself. But maybe talk a little bit about other barriers you see in Japan. Well, I think that there's always the logistical issues of getting product here, whether fresh or frozen, because, you know, during the COVID, the transportation costs were enormous. I mean, container costs were twice what they would have been normally, and it's starting to come off of that. The other issue is, you know, the value of the yen. I think it's floating at 140 now. I was reading some business papers that said it may even hit 150. Plus, you know, they have inflation of between 2 to 3%, and they've got a declining population. So all those things, you know, together make it a, a tough economy for a lot of the businesses and consumers, you know, ability to pay and purchase blueberries. Yeah, I know we talked a little bit about the differentiation between blueberries and beef. Beef has seen a tremendous surge in, in uh, consumption here in Japan, moving from seafood to beef and all those trends being the same, beef seems to be really enjoying a surge here. 
So your thoughts on that relative to blueberries, is there opportunities for blueberries to surge here? Well, I think so. I mean, in certain items during the COVID, when consumers were kept at home, there were certain items that actually went up due to, you know, people confined to their houses and eating maybe a little bit differently. So, you know, there were some items like jams, some prepared things that actually the consumption and demand increased. And then as COVID went away, some of the demand for those same items actually went down and then in other areas maybe have increased. So it depending on which segment you were on the frozen versus fresh uh, determined maybe on the differences in demand. Well, and other barriers to that surge, what other things are keeping us from being able to enjoy a robust market in Japan? Well, I think for, you know, the U.S. market, the 6% tariff that's in place is a huge deterrent in trying to get product here. There's been a lot of pressure with, like I said, the margins on business. So leaving a few dollars on the table in regards to tariff has really been a deal-breaking issue for a lot of the people from the U.S. trying to get product into Japan. And as you well know, I mean, it's something that, you know, we were trying to seek aggressively and seeing how can we change that. That's right. Yeah. No, and on, on the North American Blueberry Council side, it's certainly something we're focused on in trying to address that particular issue. A big issue for sure. Well, I appreciate this time. You know, lastly, I just would ask, you know, your thoughts on USHBC's participation here. You're the vice chair of of USHBC and a leader on the board. The value of these ATMs, the value of USHBC's marketing program out in Japan, maybe you could talk a little bit about how you see that. Well, I think that USHBC has a huge role in some of these export excursions. And I think that there's ability, and I beat the drum in regards to a lot of the people that I talk to in regards to the things that USHBC can do to help their business promote blueberries and the ability to, you know, handing out promotional items. And in some cases, help with uh, in-store promotions, recipes, various levels of promoting, whether retail or food service oriented. So, I think there's a lot of excitement and a lot of knowledge that they didn't know about that was out there available and be able to provide. So I'm on board with uh, USHBC and their willingness and wanting to get out there and look at export markets because we really need, with a global supply increasing at a rapid rate, we need to make sure that we can get product in all parts of the world. Now, I totally agree with Brian that this applies not only to Japan, but markets around the globe. Next, I sit down with Amy Wynn about some of the challenges and barriers to growth in Japan. Amy is the founder of Dragonberry Produce, a specialty produce marketer based in Oregon. She was able to share some of the tangible ideas and advice of potential ways we can overcome some of those challenges to expand our presence there in Japan. This week's meeting in Tokyo and Osaka went really well. I got a chance to meet a lot of new importers. Uh, We typically work direct with retailers, but this is the first time we're able to have the opportunities to meet with a lot of new players. I find that very enlightening and a great opportunity for us to collaborate and look at what we can do together to promote the blueberries 
The barriers I see is that um, there is a disconnect to the importer telling the retailer the passion like a grower would be able when they speak to the retailer to talk about the benefits. What we also see at the store is there isn't a lot of signage. There isn't a lot of promotion. It's more of like a little small area. I would love to see that we are able to do more display, beautiful display that we see in the States at our retail stores. And also to be able to work with these importers to do more promotion to promote the U.S. blueberries. What I did learn from our uh, one of my meetings is that most of the importers work during the season for like from Mexico from September to May, the little California. And then during the summertime, they take kind of like a break. Also is because there's local blueberries that is here in Japan. So that's when we are in season for our Oregon blues. So I hope to find opportunities and channels that we can help promote more of our blueberries when we're in season and not miss that chance. Yeah, it doesn't feel like there's just so much supply here, especially on the local production side, that you know there, there wouldn't be, at this point, still synergy in trying to elevate the supply so that you could get more demand. And to your point, I mean, I didn't see one grocery store that looked like it was displaying the berry patch, anything like we do in the United States, where it's front of store, it's all four berries, it's front and center. Yes, I think that's also something we need to point out to our industry is that the Japan markets are not displaying it and gravitating in how blueberries can be a great promotional item, a great item that is uh, higher in their profitability. And so if we have an opportunity to talk to the retailer or showcase the numbers, the data, I think that would be a great opportunity for us to be able to export more blues. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been interesting. Obviously, you're seeing a population on the decline in Japan, aging population. Like there are a lot of things that, you know, arguably are not in the favor of product development or product promotions. And yet, you know, we saw, you know, where beef is enjoying a, a really sharp increase in consumption here in Japan, seafood on a really sharp decline in contrast. So just seems like, you know, berries, you know, for an aging population, blueberries in particular with what health benefits, even when I was talking to people here, they would quickly say eyes, you know, and, and that's not necessarily something we've promoted as USHBC here in Japan. So they're already making very direct health connections to blueberries. So what other opportunities do you see for us? Well, I think besides working with the retailer, uh, working aggressively on a price that can reach all consumer at all economic levels in this countries would be a great benefit. And I think the U.S. blueberries do have the volume and the price point that can do that. What we do need is a strong partner through our channel of distribution, uh, not just at fresh blueberries, but I also want to mention that our frozen blueberries is also experiencing a challenge in this country. We have a 6.6 tariff on our frozen blueberries, along with our strong dollars. Our frozen blueberries have been very difficult to come back during this time. And um, I hope that, you know, as a group, we can do something to help the frozen blueberry industry. I really appreciated talking to Amy and her last comments there on the opportunity for frozen blueberries to overcome some of those marketing barriers. Also joining us on the trade mission was California Blueberry Commission Executive Director Todd Sanders. We talked about the importance of quality and the mind-blowing fruit-gifting culture that exists in Japan and the opportunity to promote the health attributes of blueberries in the country. 
it, it was just an excellent trip. One, just the contacts that we were able to make. You're spending time with the undersecretary. You're able to discuss important issues such as, you know, as we've discussed all week, and I heard you discussing it with the undersecretary, the tariff issue on frozen blueberries here in uh, Japan. From California's perspective, Japan's been one of our number one markets. We've seen it kind of remain a little bit stagnant, and we were hoping to kind of just get in front of all the buyers here and explain to them, like, hey, the California blueberry industry is ready to go. We're ramping up our programs now in participation with the USHBC and all of your guys' national programs. We're hoping that we can now start to gain more and more traction and a bigger foothold here, explaining that, hey, California and more importantly, U.S. blueberries, we have a quality product that we can sell at a premium price to your consumers here. Yeah. Well, and I think there's a lot of premium opportunity here. I mean, that's something what we saw in our tours. They took, uh, USDA was uh, helped set up some of these uh, grocery store tours, uh, retail tours that were really eye-opening to me from a, like what you're describing, a premium standpoint, just how much emphasis this culture puts on quality and fruit in particular as gifts even, which was... That was shocking, wasn't it? Just the, the level of importance they put on like the quality of the fruit. Every fruit is just inspected each individually. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, these grocery stores had like little Harry and David sections, right? It was like really extreme gift giving of high quality fruit, which, you know, it was, I would say a little discouraging to see where blueberries were in relationship to all that. And I think there's an opportunity there, but what are, what are the other opportunities, you know, from a block and tackle standpoint in order to be a market driver here for blueberries, what do we need to do? So I think you actually kind of hit on it. So when we, you, you and I were walking around the retail establishments and we're seeing in the fruit section, you're seeing very big displays and marketing by these other commodity groups. And then in, for the blueberry section, we didn't see much, right? You just saw that little tiny section where you had a little bit of a, an end cap for blueberries and then just a little section in the uh, cold storage. That was it. We need to do more here in a market and promotion effort and getting that USA blueberry logo out there and then working in conjunction with the states like California, Oregon, Washington, all the, really the West Coast states are, who are going to have the shipping advantage here and saying, hey, these are when we're in season. This is the quality. And then, you know, and then you compound that with now that we have SO2, the quality issues that may have been an issue in the past are gone. And now we have shelf life that can be extended. Yeah, maybe people don't know what you mean by SO2. So talk a little bit about what that solution is. SO2 pads were approved uh, for use in domestically and for exports. And SO2 pads are already approved here in Japan for grapes and for blueberries now. And so applying those SO2 pads on those blueberries will then just extend the shelf life and then just give us a better opportunity to compete against these other commodity groups that maybe have a little bit of a better shipping advantage. Yeah. And, and just to put a fine point on, on, you know, the opportunity to promote within store, it's, it's not just that the expectation is that USHBC has to be here to promote blueberries, but there was like, I mean, we're, we're barely into the domestic season where there could be fresh to be promoted anyway, but blueberries, even as a culture, you know, even looking at, we ran into uh Mexico fruit, and we ran into Japanese fruit, uh, but not a lot of it and nothing being really promoted. It wasn't like they were promoting blueberries at retail either. And you think about the contrasting experience of our retailers at home who see how valuable retail, I mean, blueberries are the produce department's profitability driver. And out here, 
they put so much emphasis on everything else. There's a, just a clear a disconnect. And to, to that point, the thing that I've said is, you know, with the USHBC's research and the NABC's, every, all the, on the health benefits of blueberries, everything that we've done that says all these things are healthy, and this is a very health conscious society, right? We should be screaming that from the mountaintop, uh, on top of Mount Fuji, right? <laughs> and screaming that saying, you guys need to be eating more blueberries. And I remember our rep years ago used to sit there and say, well, blueberries were such a, like a delicacy and they would eat one or two at a time. No, I want them eating hand handfuls at a time. And that's what we need to be showing them. Like, hey, look, you guys need to be eating these in droves so that we can really drive that volume. Yeah. And that's the issue, right? It's almost a catch-22 where, you know, part of the reason the price is high is because they don't have the supply. And then part of the reason they don't have the supply is that the price is kind of high. And so we're running into that. How are we going to challenge this particular market dynamic so that blueberries become more ubiquitous amongst the consumer and on the shopping list. And I think, like I said, I, the opportunity is there. You can see it. And honestly, when we met with all those uh, businesses and just talking to them at the receptions and stuff, the desire's there. We just got to kind of make that connection and start making that volume moving. It was great to have Todd there in Japan. I know he works with multiple commodities, but I really appreciated the perspective he offered as a part of the California blueberry industry. Now to close out today's episode from Japan, I wanted to bring in Renata Dalton our USHBC Director of Global Business Development. Renata is responsible for all global marketing programs, which was span over many countries within Southeast Asia, China, India, Canada, and more. I wanted to talk to Renata about how this trip fits into our strategic vision to empower the industry to make blueberries the world's favorite fruit, and also about our specific strategic initiatives to double exports, which is a responsible she's taking on in her day-to-day. Most of all, I wanted Renata to share where those of you in the industry can go to learn more about how you can get involved with the export business as it continues to expand. First, though, I asked her to give us a snapshot of our blueberry presence in Japan today. Japan is the leading export market in Asia for fresh, frozen, dried, and U.S. blueberries, specifically the West Coast producers in California, Oregon, and Washington. Frozen blueberries have become the largest U.S. blueberry products exported to Japan by far, representing 89% of the total U.S. export volume. Now, in terms of export fresh and dried products to Japan, we represent a much smaller volume. The total exported to Japan is about 10% for fresh and less than 1% for dried products. Well, and, and maybe we talk about what we're seeing today. I know in our briefings with USDA, they showed a population base in decline and aging here in Japan. And so maybe talk a little bit about the statistics we see today in total export volume of U.S. blueberries into the country. The total export volumes of U.S. blueberries to the country has fallen from approximately 2,900 metric tons in 2017 to approximately 2,000 metric tons in 2022. The decline in export volumes has been driven by a high tariff of the frozen blueberries and also increasing competition from blueberry suppliers and economic conditions. The inflation in Japan, as you know, have been rising, reaching 3.1% in February. So combined with that, the yen has been weakening in, in relation to the U.S. dollars. So that creates a challenge for the U.S. blueberry industry. Well, and talk a little bit about the work that we're doing now with our agency and country. What does that work look like? What's the plans for this summer? What has historically been the activities that we've been participating in to help drive consumption here in Japan? 
Sure. USHBC collaborates a lot of with the ATO office in Japan, which is a great opportunity to tackle along and join efforts in any of the promotions that they do for agricultural projects in general. We also uh, conduct a lot of public relation promotions where we can, you know, let the public know what's going on around USA blueberries and excite the consumers to come and, and experience blueberries when we are in season and we are in store. We also do a lot of uh, trade shows. We participated in the IFEA very recently. We were able to ship some samples of different formats of blueberries that the consumer could see and taste and experience things that they don't normally see in the market. Another good opportunity as well, we have been collaborating and doing seminars to educate the trade on around the versatility and, and the possibilities around USA blueberries. So we've been doing different promotions from previous years, but um, specifically in the retail space, we will be conducting a lot of demonstrations and taking opportunity that the market have been a lot more open than during the pandemic. So we'll be connecting closer to consumers this year and giving them more opportunities to taste and experience. And we will also take the opportunity to educate them around the benefits of USA blueberries. Yeah, that's going to be great. Well, and I know in your role, I mean, part of the job like we did for this trip is to kind of bring people together around the export opportunities that have a country like Japan represents. But a big challenge in that is helping growers understand what this opportunity looks like. There's obviously some risk involved. What are the barriers from your perspective that prevent more USA fruit coming into the Japan market? So uh, around the advocacy side, we have a, a tariff issue around the frozen blueberries. So as you know, we have 6% to 9% depending on the sugar content. We have been working closely with government and recently we submitted a letter that has been supported by a lot of members of Congress to reduce the tariff that was missed during the latest U.S.-Japan trade agreement. So that's one of the challenges that the industry has to overcome. Having a tariff hinders the, the possibilities for frozen blueberries, given that Canada has trade-free agreement with um, Japan. So once that tariff is reduced, obviously the opportunities will be greater for USA blueberries. Sure. Well, this has been a great trip. You know, if there are people who are listening to this and they're inspired to get involved, and like we're talking about here, we, we do think there's marketing opportunity here in Japan, and maybe there's somebody listening who wants to learn more. You're the person they need to talk to. There's a lot that you have to do in order to access a market, there's a lot of work involved. What would be the next step you'd recommend for someone who's listening that wants to be involved with exporting to Japan or, or maybe it's another country? Well, please feel free to get in touch. We would love to walk you through the steps to become an exporter to the Japan market or any other markets that we have promotions. We do a lot of one-on-one um, -on -one business between importers and exporters, and we would be happy to facilitate those meetings on your behalf too. Well, you heard it there. I highly encourage you to get in touch with Renata about how you can get involved in this exciting new business happening around the world. Her contact information is on our website and we'll certainly include it in our show notes for today's episode. I really enjoyed my first trip to Japan. It was a really important opportunity to learn more about what USDA is doing and take advantage of the relationships that they are continuing to build in that country. Well, that's it for episode 140. Please do not hesitate to reach out to Renata or myself to have that conversation about export opportunities or how your business might be able to get involved in moving fruit around the world. 
Again, we'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries. Blueberries.